Hark the herald angels sing glory to the new... Leave here, you miserable snipes! Uh, but, but all we ask is a penny, sir. It, it is Christmas Eve. Christmas. <sighs> Christmas is humbug. Now go away and find someone else to bother. Once upon a time, many years ago, there lived a man named Ebenezer Scrooge. Bah, humbug. He liked no one, and no one liked him. And he especially hated Christmas. But his poor clerk, Bob Cratchit, loved Christmas so very much. Ah, uh, Mr. Scrooge, um, it's, it's 7 o'clock, sir, and uh, Christmas Eve, may I uh, leave for home now? <sighs> If you must. And I suppose you'll be wanting the whole day off tomorrow? Uh, yeah, if it's convenient, sir. It's not convenient, but take it if you must, and be here all the earlier the next morning. Oh, thank you, sir. I will, sir. Merry Christmas. Bah, humbug. Scrooge was nasty. Yeah. Not just to Bob Cratchit, but he was mean to everyone, and especially mean at Christmas time. Merry Christmas, Uncle. I've come to bring you season's greetings. Bah. Nephew, if I could have my way, everyone who goes about with Merry Christmas on their lips would be boiled with their own pudding and buried with a stick of holly through their heart. Now leave me alone! <laughs> okay, Uncle. If that's what you'd like, then I'll go. But please, dine with us tomorrow. What can I say, nephew? I don't want to dine with you. Besides, there's work to be done. <laughs> All right then, Uncle. A Merry Christmas! Humbug! Later that night, Scrooge went home and he went to bed. It was Christmas Eve and he was alone. Or was he? Suddenly, he was awakened by ringing bells and he became very scared. What is it? Who goes there? Then from the shadows appeared a strange figure. Scrooge! Oh, bless me! you fearful ghost. In life, I was your business partner, Jacob Marley. Marley? But you've been dead for seven years. Why do you trouble me? To save you, Scrooge. You're as mean and cruel as I was when I lived. And now look at me. I'm in chains. Oh, please don't trouble me. Silence! You will be visited by three spirits. The first at the stroke of one, the second at the stroke of two, and the third, you guessed it, at the stroke of three. They are your only hope for avoiding my sad fate. Beware, Scrooge, and heed what they say. And with that, Marley disappeared, and Scrooge fell asleep. <laughs> But as the clock struck one, dum, he awoke with a start. Oh, my! Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me? I am the ghost of Christmas past, your past. What do you want with me? Be gone! I'm here to remind you of your many mistakes in the past. Let's take a look. What do you see, Scrooge? Is, is that me? Look at me, I'm just a boy. When you were young, you had no friends because you were unkind to others. Do you remember that, Scrooge? Yes, I do. 
And then you grew a little older. And you worked for a kind old man, Fezziwig. Yet you repay that kindness by being very cruel even to your own worker, Bob Cratchit, don't you? Yes. And do you remember this, Scrooge? That's your young sister when she asked you to take care of her son, Fred, and be kind to him. Do you remember? But you are unkind to him as well. Oh, spirit, why do you delight in torturing me? Show me no more of these visions. These are merely shadows of things that have been. They are what they are. Don't blame me. In your past, you've often been unkind and lacking in generosity. These are mistakes that have cost you dearly. Try to learn from your past, Scrooge. Humbug. But then the clock struck two. And another spirit appeared. Oh, hi there. Oh, I was told to expect... Uh, Yes, yes, I am the ghost of Christmas present. You probably don't know me because you've never bought a Christmas present in your life, have you? (laughs) I love Christmas! Christmas is humbug indeed. I know you think that, Scrooge, but that is exactly why I'm here, my good man. I'm here to show you how good people everywhere are preparing for Christmas on this holy night. Let's go. Oh, Spirit, why have you brought me to this slum corner of town? It's Christmas here too, you know, and it is indeed a special time, my friend, when all things are so good. You see over there? Yeah, that's your employee, Bob Cratchit's house. Everyone celebrates their Christmas time, no matter how poor they may be. And you know better than anyone how little he has to celebrate with. How could he possibly enjoy Christmas with all those children to feed and clothe? You have so much to learn, my guy. That is precisely why he enjoys Christmas, because of his family and friends. Scrooge, do you, do you know Bob's young son, Tiny Tim? I do. He is very sick. But Bob doesn't have enough money to buy Tiny Tim the medicine that he needs to get well. You are a very rich man, Scrooge, but you do not pay Bob enough money. His wages are adequate. Without medicine, Tiny Tim will die. Surely Tiny Tim won't die. Will he? If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die, 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 die. Finally, At the last stroke of three, a very fearsome ghost appeared. Are you the ghost of Christmas yet to come? I am. And you are here to show me things that will happen in the future, is that right, spirit? Take a look, Scrooge. You will spend the rest of your life alone, with no one to care for you, no family or friends, not even at your funeral. Your fate will be even worse than your business partners. Well, enough about me. Show me the Cratchit family. Show me Tiny Tim. (sighs) What do you see, Scrooge? Okay, I see. I see Bob Cratchit's house. And 
an empty chair and a very sad family. Oh no, spirit, I, I do not want these things to happen. Then you should have changed, Scrooge. You should have been kind and generous and warm-hearted. You should have cared for people and tried to help them when you could. And you should have kept Christmas well and profited from its lesson that Christmas shows us that we must be good to our fellow man, for all people are important. Oh no! Is it too late, spirit? Must these sad things happen? Or do I have time to change? I will change, spirit. You will see. You will see. I will be kind and generous. I, I want to help Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim and my, my poor nephew, Fred. I see the truth now. I, I, I want to change, spirit. Tell me it's not too late. Speak comfort to me, spirit. Speak comfort to me, please. Oh, where, what, what, what day, you, you, you there, what day is it, today, why, it's Christmas day, sir, oh, what a remarkable boy you are, here, take this, and purchase the biggest turkey you can find, deliver it to Bob Cratchit's house, but, but don't tell him who it's from, oh, and be sure to keep the change for yourself, oh, thank you, sir, a very Merry Christmas, sir, oh, and a very Merry Christmas to you, too, boy. Uncle, what a surprise. Fred, can you forgive an old fool? Certainly, Uncle, it is, after all, Christmas Day. If I am still welcome, I would very much like to dine with you and your family. You will always be welcome, Uncle. Come, join us. I will, but first, I must pay a Christmas visit to Bob Cratchit's house. Oh, why? Mr. Scrooge, um, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I must have been mistaken. I, I could have sworn that you said that I could have the day off. Bob Cratchit! I want to apologize to you. I have been a nasty, cruel boss, and I am very, very sorry. I want to help you and your family, and I especially want to help Tiny Tim. Before you dot another I, I'm going to raise your salary, Bob Cratchit. Now, let's go finish that turkey, wherever it may have flown in from. <laughs> Scrooge was even better than his word. He did help the Cratchit family, and Tiny Tim grew strong and healthy. Scrooge shared his money with people in need, and he was always concerned and caring and kind. It was said that if any person alive ever possessed the knowledge of the true meaning of Christmas, it was Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, thank you, Mr. Scrooge, and, and Merry Christmas. Oh, and, and Tiny Tim has something that he would like to say, too. God bless us, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Lucas seemed like a really good idea until I stood up here and realized I had to follow it. <laughs> Who knows what uh, season in the church starts today? Anybody know? Advent, right? The Advent season. Advent, for this is for bonus points, Advent comes from a Latin word, advenir. Um, who knows what that word means or what Advent means literally if you translated it? It means to arrive, or to come, or to prepare. Advent 
isn't really a time of Christmas parties and Christmas shopping, though we think of it that way, and that's a part of the season. Advent is a time of waiting for Jesus to come and getting ready. We might think about it this way. How many of you have had to clean the house because company's coming over? Yep, mom and dad said, we need to be cleaning. Anyone, anyone been forced to clean the house for a company that really didn't make sense because they were just going to mess everything up playing with our toys anyway? Anybody had that experience? Right, but we prepare for company to come, and then, and then we get ready, and then what do we do? We wait for him to arrive. We're kind of excited about them coming. So Advent is asking this question, what does it look like to prepare for Jesus to come? What does it look like to get our lives ready and to wait for Jesus to come into our lives. That's what this next month is all about. At Clay Church, we're going to ask that question, and we're going to search the Bible, and we're going to have kind of a doorway into the Bible with Clay Christmas classics. Right? We're going to look at some, we're going to look at some classic TV shows and classic movies and the themes that are in that and let those be kind of a doorway into the, some of the ways that we prepare ourselves for Jesus to come into our lives Today, we're going to start with a Christmas carol that was so wonderfully presented by Lucas. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll explore a little bit today. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for this season of light and joy, and most important, for this invitation to prepare for Jesus. Speak to us today in whatever way you need, you need to, each one of us, so that we might be prepared to accept the amazing love you offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, to help us get started and think about A Christmas Carol, I'm curious what your favorite version is. Did you know that there are at least 24 different versions of A Christmas Carol? I'm just going to go through these. If this is your favorite, would you just, would just raise your hand? I, some of them you may not even know existed. We're going to start with this one. How many, your favorite is just the, the 1941 classic telling of A Christmas Carol. Any, any classics fans in here today? Okay, there's one. Um, how about the Disney version? Anybody love the Disney version of A Christmas Carol? All right. How about, uh, how about the 1999 Patrick Stewart version? I didn't even know this one existed. All right. Any Muppet fans? Any fans of the Muppets? Anybody love the... Okay, we're getting... Now, we, we needed to get to, to your, uh, your kind here. Uh, so, Muppet Christmas Carol. How about this? Any Bugs Bunny fans? Anybody remember the Bugs Bunny version of A Christmas Carol? I didn't until I saw this picture. All right, how about this? Anybody love Bert, Bill Murray's take in the movie Scrooged? All right, and, and last but not least, how about a, the Mickey Mouse version with Scrooge McDuck? Yeah, all right. Anyone not a fan of A Christmas Carol? That's okay, too. just want to make sure that's, that's out there. But the question is worth asking, why does this story keep getting told again and again and again and put in different mediums for different people in different generations? And I think... I think it actually isn't because of Christmas. I think Christmas is just the background of the story. I think, I believe, that this story at its heart is about something that we long for, that we hope for. At its heart, a Christmas carol is about hope and about redemption. That's a big word, right? Redemption. 
So let, let's take a word, a look at these, these words. These are the, the themes of a Christmas carol, really hope and, and redemption. So turn to somebody close to you. Uh, kids, find an adult close to you and ask them, ask them, what, what does hope mean to you? And then share, what, is, what does it mean to have hope? What is, how would you define hope? I think, it, I think at its core, there's, there's this message of hope in, in this. Like, we ask this question, is there hope for somebody like Ebenezer Scrooge? Is there hope for me if I turn mean and negative, or if I'm struggling and I, and I make mistakes in my life? Is there hope for me? Is there hope when we see meanness and struggle in our world? So I think we have an idea about hope. Now let's, uh, now let's look at this other big word, redemption. Can you say that word with me? Say redemption. Yes. All right, now turn to that same adult or turn to that same person next to you and, uh, and say, what is redemption? And, uh, and see if you get an answer. This is really fun, because when I asked about hope, everybody just started their conversations. When I asked about redemption, I had parents glaring at me. I'm pretty sure I saw a glare or two out there. And then there were people just grinning, like, I, I don't exactly know how to de describe redemption. Redemption isn't as easy to define, but I think it's important. So we're going to look a little bit more at that word today and what it, what it means for us individually. So let, let's start there. Redemption, one of the ways I like to think about redemption is if you have a coupon, right? You've been given a coupon, and, and you know it's worth something, but it's just a piece of paper, or in today's world, it's just a, like, it's just a, a code on your phone, right? The coupon, you don't really acquire its value until you essentially cash it in. You redeem it. There's the, the root of redemption. You redeem that coupon. And when you redeem it, the coupon, which was before just a piece of paper, it suddenly has, suddenly has value. For faith, our faith, redemption is what happens when we give our lives to God. Right? Our, our lives, they, they have value, but it's when we give those lives to God that we can recognize the, the real value for each and every one of us. Redemption is, is this action of saving or being saved from sin or error or evil. If we think of it in, in faith terms, when we turn our lives over to God, we discover our value. And if you think about your life, like sometimes there are tears along the edges. Sometimes there are huge tears. Sometimes there are stains in our life. But do you know what? We still have value, and when we give all of it to God, God redeems it. God shows us the value of our lives. This is redemption. Your life has meaning. Say that with me. My life has meaning. Life has meaning. I am loved. Am loved. Isaiah 64, we're going to look at today. 
It's our, our Bible scripture today, and it gives us some clues about how to experience this meaning and this value that we have something to offer in our lives. But to understand this, we have to have a little bit of background. So I have a question. Um, how many of you have ever done something you should not have in your life or made a mistake? All right, there are three perfect people. Uh, put your hands back up if you've ever made a mistake. Ever made a mistake? Uh, I want everybody to look around and realize that we are in very good company here. How many of you have experienced consequences of that mistake? Like a friend being really angry at you, or you've just made a mess, and you've had to deal with the consequences. The people of God in the Old Testament that we call them the Israelites— and they made some mistakes, like big ones. They stopped putting God first in their lives, and they started just looking out for themselves. They, uh, they didn't take care of people. The prophets came and, and told them their mistakes. The Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah came and said, you're messing this up. I've invited you to be people that care for the, the widows and the foreigners, and, and you're not doing it. You're just living for yourselves. You're putting power and, and status and all these other things in front of what's most important, which is loving and being kind to each other and to your neighbor. And there were consequences. Because the community was weakened because they didn't care for each other and they didn't love each other, when invading peoples came, they couldn't stand up to them. They weren't unified, and so they were defeated. Many of the people had to move into exile. They were taken from their homes and they had to live somewhere else. Years passed. And then Cyrus became the king of Persia, and he told the people, he was a kind leader, and he said, you can go back. And so many of the people of Israel, they went back to their homeland. But when they got there, everything had changed. It wasn't the same. They found that the people already living there didn't necessarily want them back or didn't want to give them their homes and their, their land back. And so there was all this fighting and clashes about who owned the land and, and about politics and social standing and who got to make the rules. Hear any echoes? And in the midst of all of that fighting, all of that struggle... Isaiah offers a prayer. The book of Isaiah records a prayer on behalf of the people. And in that prayer is the way to remember who we are and the value that we have in being God's people. Here's what the, here's what the prayer says. This is Isaiah chapter 64. If you want to follow along, it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you, God, did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, nor ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. As we think about preparing for Jesus, as we think about experiencing our value before God, I think this prayer, it shows us how to get there. And step one is to wait for God. How many of you are really patient people? Okay, there are two patient people in here. How many are impatient people? 
right? It can be really hard to wait for God, but the first step to experience this love of God is to be patient, to patiently wait for God. Right? We want to rush to Christmas, but, but sometimes the most important thing to realize when, when things are difficult or stressful is just to take a step back and be like, I know God is working in this moment, and I'm going to wait to see what God is doing, what God is up to. The prayer then goes on. It says this, You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us who have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you for if you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Right? If step one is to wait on God, step two is as we wait, it's to admit our mistakes. It's to own that we've done some things that we're not proud of. It's to confess our sins. It's to admit that we need help. How many of you sometimes have a hard time when you've messed up just admitting it? It can be hard sometimes, right? But the way to, to know our value is to, is to just say, we made a mistake. We read on for step Step three, it says, next, yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Right, step three, to experience and know our value before God is is to name our need for God, to say, God, we need you. We're just a lump of clay on our own, but if we will give our lives to you, we know that you can mold us, our lives, into something beautiful. We know that sometimes if we just leave it to ourselves, we can be angry and mean and not very nice. But if we'll let you mold us in your way, we can be kind and good-hearted and and loving. Clay might be a good name for a church, huh? Step four, the prayer goes on. It says, do not be angry beyond measure. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are your people. Step four is to ask for redemption. To ask God to forgive us. To ask God to take the lead in our lives. The original... Christmas story, as Lucas did such a beautiful job of presenting it. If you think about the ghost of Christmas past, one of the things that you see there, and I I love how Lucas did this, one of the things that you see in that story is that when Ebenezer Scrooge is taken and, and takes a look at his past, he actually, the first three are not that dark, and he sees He begins to recognize how he made poor decisions that have caused him to be where he is. He says to the ghost, yeah, I see that. In fact, in the book version, he asks, he's like, wait, can I, can I still do this, even at the beginning? 
right? He sees how his past decisions have shaped his life. He sees and he begins to admit his mistakes. There's a, there's a little piece of light right there. He's still covered in this veneer of being mean, but we begin to see that there's still love in his heart. Many of the tellings of A Christmas Carol then end with a scene where Scrooge has Tiny Tim on his shoulders. Have any of you seen this scene in, in one or more movie versions of this, right? And they're both smiling. We love this story because Ebenezer Scrooge isn't so far gone that his life can be redeemed. We love this story because we need to know that no matter how big the mistakes we've made are, that our lives can still be redeemed. We need this kind of story because no matter how messy the world looks and how mean people seem, we need hope that those lives in our world can be redeemed. And this story of a Christmas carol, even Ebenezer, comes from the Bible. In fact, if you want a fun activity this afternoon, look up Ebenezer in the Bible and, and read the whole story and see how it relates. This story is anchored in a biblical story about a God who is constantly seeking to redeem us. This is our hope. Hope in God's redemption is knowing that our worst moment doesn't have to be our defining moment. Do you ever feel that way? Like your life is just being defined by terrible things? Hope in God's redemption is knowing that our worst moments don't have to be our defining moment. Our mistakes don't have to define us. Instead, we get to choose that the defining moments in our lives are every moment that we say yes to God. The defining moments in our lives can be every moment when we just sit back and say to God, God, I'm waiting for you. I can't see it right now. I don't know where you are, but, but I know you're there. I'm waiting for you. I see, God, where I have messed up, and I'm sorry for those moments. God, I need you, and I need your love. God, redeem me. We're invited to let those moments be our defining moments. This, this is the heart of Advent. Jesus is coming to redeem us. We know this. We know the end of the story. In preparation for the next big act in the story, Jesus coming and redeeming us, we're invited to take our part in the story. We're invited to take a look at our own lives, to name our mistakes, to name where we need God in our lives and to hold on to hope. May you know this day, old or young, wherever you are in life, may you know this day that you are never beyond God's love, never beyond God's redemption. And as you go forth into a world where there is struggling and hurt and suffering. May you know that no one and nothing in our world is beyond God's redemption. Each one of us has value 
Each one of us have been given the gift of life with meaning. May we know and prepare our hearts for that love to flow through us in this season of Advent. Amen. Amen.